Let us pray. Once more, O gracious God, draw near. Enlighten our hearts and our minds and pour your spirit into us. As we have heard your word, your spirit is here with us. And may he enlighten us and guide us and draw us nearer to you that we would know more fully the glorious salvation that you have given to us in Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we pray. Amen. Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. What do you make of that statement in today's collect? Do you believe it? Do you believe that in yourself you have no power to help yourself? Or do you just disbelieve the entire statement? Do you believe it's a farce to even think this or say that, to pray this? Do you think that you have power in yourself to help yourself if you're just given the time and the circumstances necessary? Do you believe that you really have no need for help in the long run? Do you believe that everything is basically all right within you? Or that the very issue that Scripture determines as your brokenness is not really broken at all? Jesus begs to differ today. Our collect is based in who He truly is and what He came to do and in many ways comes out, I think, or at least agrees and and comes together with what we've read from Jesus' words today. If we really pray this prayer with any sense of introspection, we know it to be utterly true. You know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. No power in ourselves. We are powerless against ourself. Our inborn self is at war with what God would accomplish in us today. Some days that war is less loud, but it's still there. Some days we don't really notice it, but the war remains. And then there are those other days where that war rears its ugly head in conflict with the new man that God has created in us through Jesus Christ. And those are the days that we find our faith tested and tried and hopefully purified as we turn back to Jesus, as we turn in faith away from that war, knowing that Jesus has defeated it and we resist the war, we resist the turning away. Because God, through faith, has empowered us to turn away from who we are in ourselves. And so where do we thus stand? Do we give in to what we once were and call it good? Or do we stand aside and let Jesus lead us to something utterly new and in many ways unknown to us? Jesus' work is to change us, and we are to receive it. Not by standing in His way, not by standing and trying to stop Him, but by following Him even into the death of all that we think we are to be. And that's where we start in our gospel reading this day. Jesus is beginning to finally teach his disciples the inner meaning of his ministry. He's finally beginning to really open up and reveal to them what is going to happen to himself. But why does he suddenly decide to do this? What leads him to see that they are ready to begin hearing about the true work of the Messiah? That it goes beyond healing, that it goes beyond teaching. 
But it means the death of that very Messiah. Well, it's because the disciples finally caught a glimpse of who Jesus truly is as they were walking toward and in the villages of Caesarea Philippi, which is way north there in the Palestinian area, there in the Galilean area. It's at the northern edges of what was once the kingdom of Israel, about a hundred miles north of where Jerusalem is located. And as they're walking, Jesus asked them, who do people say that I am? And they confessed to him. It's like, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others, one of the other prophets. And so they are listening to what the people are saying about Jesus. And then he turns and looks at them and says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter quickly jumps up and says, you're the Christ. But then Jesus says, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone about this. And then he turns and begins teaching them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days to rise again. Jesus gives them the warp and woof of what's going to happen to him in the future that he is walking toward. Jesus isn't surprised when he gets to Jerusalem and the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Roman leaders all turn against him. That's not surprising at all to Jesus. He knew that was what he was intended to encounter. He knew that was what he was intended to endure and go through for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the good news he was bringing about, for the sake of the kingdom that he was going to establish. He would suffer many things and he would be rejected by everyone. And they would put him to death and he would be killed. But in God's plan, he would rise again. He would be brought back to life after three days. On the third day, he would rise once more. The Messiah would be demonstrated to be truly the Messiah by his death and resurrection. And that right there is the reason why Jesus said, don't tell anyone that I am the Christ. Because what the Christ was going to do, what the true Messiah was going to do, the capital M Messiah, because after all, if you go back into the Old Testament, you see anointed ones all over the place. David was an anointed one. Samuel was an anointed one. Samson was an anointed one. They were all little messiahs that would point toward the great and glorious Messiah that was being prophesied about, that was being told about, that was being revealed slowly, little by little, throughout the Old Testament. And of course, one of the greatest manifestations of who the Messiah would be is found in the book of Isaiah. There in those last chapters of Isaiah, from 40 to 66, where he starts developing and telling about these servant songs, about the suffering servant who will stand in place of Israel, who will receive the just punishment that Israel deserves, but yet will live, though put to death. There the Messiah is revealed to be a suffering one, but not all of Israel had picked up on that. Not all of the scribes and Pharisees wanted to see the Messiah as one who had suffered death. Because they didn't understand how that could demonstrate that He is the Messiah. And Peter and this moment says and stands up and rebukes Jesus. He goes before him after hearing Jesus talk about his death, after hearing about him being rejected and having to suffer many things. Peter says, No, that is not what happens to the Messiah. Mark doesn't give us Peter's words, he just simply says that he began to rebuke him. Matthew and Luke reveal to us that 
Peter basically says something, may it never be to you, O Lord. Never shall that be. That can't be the path of the Messiah. But Jesus sees what's happening here. Jesus looks plainly through Peter's words and sees who is behind those words. And of course, Jesus isn't saying that Peter's been possessed by Satan or that he's being oppressed, but that there's whisperings. That in a sense, Satan is speaking through Peter with temptation. And so Jesus rebukes Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Get behind me, Satan. Satan is a unique word throughout Scripture because it goes from being just a simple verb early on in the New Testament to be, or early, early on in the Old Testament to becoming the manifestation of that which is the adversary against all of God's people. It becomes a proper name as you go through Scripture. Starting off initially as just a verb that just meant to be an adversary, to stand over and against, to block someone from moving forward. But it comes to become the proper name of the great fallen angel. It comes to be the name that he is known by because he is the great adversary. He is the one who stands in the way of all who would try to find God. He continues to block them as they try to follow and pursue the revelation that they have been given. Satan is the adversary, the stumbling block, the one who stands in front of what another must do in order to stop that action. And that is what Peter is doing here. He literally takes Jesus aside and stands in front of him and says, this isn't what's supposed to be. He becomes that block. He becomes that stumbling block. He becomes a fence and a wall over against the calling of Jesus, standing there blocking Jesus. And Jesus recognizes that. This is a temptation to stop his forward progress, to stop his moving toward the ultimate end of his ministry, his death and his resurrection. Once more, Satan is tempting Jesus just as he did last week in the wilderness that we read about. Tempting him away from the path that he must go in order to win the hearts of the nations. His death and resurrection, tempting him away from it through the words of Peter. But Jesus rebukes Peter. He calls him out and says that you are not setting your mind on the things of God. You're not thinking about how God is going to accomplish His own will. You're thinking about it like a man. You're thinking about as a man would think. That glory is always what's most important. That glory is incompatible with suffering. That glory is incompatible with the way of the Messiah going to death. And that's how we all think. How can suffering be a good thing? How can suffering be a place where there is blessing? How can suffering be a place where God's glory is revealed as it truly is in compassion and mercy and yet in justice and fidelity to Himself? But that is how it is. That is the way that God operates. Coming into this fallen world, God acts and uses the very fallenness of this world, the suffering that occurs in this world as a result of the fallenness, to accomplish His great redemption. He uses the sufferings that we encounter to turn us more fully to Himself, to draw us to Himself, to drive us to Himself, to pull us forward away from what we would be in and of ourselves. 
It's a strange thing how suffering can actually turn into a blessing because it causes us to look to God when we trust that He is truly in charge. And after this confrontation with Peter, pointing out that he is focused on the things of man instead of the things of God, he calls the crowd and his disciples and says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's a statement we hear over and over and over again in our lives, isn't it? As believers, we've probably heard this from almost the earliest days that we can remember. If you want to follow Jesus, take up your cross and follow him. Deny yourself. Walk away from who you are. And it is, this right here is, in many ways, the summation of our faith, the summation of our sanctification, the summation of the Christian life. But I like how Jesus is playing with words here. If anyone would come after me, could also be read as, if anyone would come behind me, Think about that in the opposition that just occurred where Peter literally is standing in front of Jesus to block his way. But instead, Jesus says, if you would come behind me, you must deny yourself. If you want to come after and be behind me and not opposed to me, then you must deny yourself. You must turn away from who you are in and of yourself. You must reject all that is wrong in you. Reject all those desires and those thoughts, those words and those actions that are contrary to to the true will of God and take up your cross and follow me. That's the opposite of what Peter was just doing. Peter wanted to block Jesus, but his mind was on the things of man. Instead, Jesus says that we must stand behind him and follow in his wake, follow in his path, the one that he has trod before us. One cannot come after unless one is behind. One cannot follow unless one is behind the leader. We can't run out in front of Jesus thinking that we can forge our own path and do our own things if we're going to be a follower of Jesus. Instead, no, we have to follow Him alone, looking to Him as our Savior, as the one who has spoken the truth. We follow Jesus and we do not stand in front of Him to redirect Him. Instead, He stands in front of us to redirect our paths. He changes the direction that we're going. And Jesus continues in the same vein, speaking of how we have to deny ourselves. If anyone would save his life, he'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. That we find it's only when we let go of our lives, when we let go of our wants and our desires, our needs even, that we discover a new power within that has come to dwell in us. Not a power that we create, but a power, the Holy Spirit Himself coming from outside of us, changing us to become that kind of person who lets go of His own life, who loses His own life for the sake of the Gospel. Again, this is all about the denial of oneself, the turning away from who we are in and of ourselves. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Jesus asked these penetrating words in order to make us think about this path that we are called upon. We can pursue all of our wants. We can pursue all of our desires. We can pursue all of our needs. We can do anything that we want to in and of ourselves. And through that, gain the whole world. 
But in the process, we forfeit the life that Jesus is giving to us from Himself. When we pursue what we are in ourselves, when we pursue what we are in our fallenness, we by default turn away from who Jesus is in Himself. We turn away from the life that He is giving to us through His death and resurrection, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we can give nothing to regain our soul. Nothing can we give to regain the life that Jesus has offered. There's nothing that we can do except repent. Except to go back to the beginning of this statement to deny ourselves, to say, I am a sinner in myself. I am not righteous. There is nothing in me that is pleasing to the Father in and of myself. And so let me die on my own cross that I might follow Jesus. Let me die to all that is in me so that I can follow Jesus and live in the life He's given me. All of that is trust. All of that is trust-based action. It's action that flows out of that confession that Jesus is the Messiah who has died and risen again, who forgives the sins of the world. And that's the path that Jesus calls His disciples to. Death. Not just a one-time physical death, but a daily death. A continual death to who we are in and of ourselves. That we cannot turn back to who we are in ourselves. We often will, and we must turn back in repentance, turn back in trust that Jesus will forgive us. That is all that we can do. We can't give anything of ourselves to regain our soul, to regain true life. But Jesus gives us everything that we need to regain life. He gives us Himself completely because His death upon the cross is unique. Yes, Jesus says that we are to take up a cross. And thus, taking up a cross, we will die in following Jesus. But we take up a cross, not the cross. A cross that derives from Jesus' very cross, that flows out of His, because His death is utterly unique. But ours comes out of and through His cross. His cross atones for our sins. It takes our sins away. And our cross, being connected and deriving out of His, reshapes us into the very kind of people that His cross creates. Jesus' cross creates new people because it takes their sins away from them and places them upon Himself. Thus, when we take up our cross in self-denial and a desire to die to all that is within us that is contrary to God's will, we become new. In fact, we are already new when we begin that path of self-denial, when we begin that path of following Jesus and carrying our cross and dying upon that cross daily, constantly, continually. Our cross participates ultimately in His cross because His is the special and different and unique. And whatever our cross does to aid us in our self-denial comes directly out of His unique cross. And thus Jesus brings us to the pivotal moment for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory and the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We are called to become identified with Christ solely and alone, to not forsake him, to not be ashamed of him, but to embrace who he is, 
The Messiah who forgives the sins of the world. The Messiah who takes away that which is broken in us. The Messiah who heals us and renews us and calls us onto a new path away from what we once were that we might become what He truly is. The glorified man who has walked the path of death and come through the other side into new life that He then pours out into us. We are not our own, but we belong only to Him now. And that's what He calls us to be, we are to willingly receive. And He calls us to be new people. He calls us to be people who deny ourselves, who walk away from what we want to be, who walk away from what we think we should be. And we deny all of that for His sake. Out of love, out of joy. For He Himself, through the joy, endured the shame of the cross. For the joy He knew that would come through that cross, He endured the shame of it. Likewise, we're called to that same path. For the joy set before us, though between reaching that ultimate joy and where we are now, there is a path of suffering and shame that we will endure as we deny who we are in and of ourselves. But again, that's all part and parcel of the prayer that we just prayed this morning. After admitting that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves, we then pray, keep us outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, that we may be defended from all adversities that may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts that may assault and hurt the soul through Jesus Christ our Lord. I really love that, how it's not just, just keep our souls safe, keep us pure, keep us in a good place with you, Father. But no, it's both keep outwardly our bodies and inwardly our souls. Because we're both, we're both a body and a soul brought together, united, made one. And so both belong to Christ. My body is as much Christ as my soul, and therefore I need Him to keep my body outwardly away from adversity, away from anything that would distract and deter and drag me away. And I also need Him to keep me from all evil thoughts that may assault and hurt the soul. We often don't think of the soul being able to be hurt because it's immaterial. What can hurt something that's immaterial? Well, an immaterial thing like evil thoughts. Those evil thoughts assault our soul. And those evil thoughts hurt our soul when we let them dwell in us, when we cling to them, when we hold on to them. And so we cry out, save us from those evil thoughts and save us from the outward adversities that would affect our bodies. Keep us as your own, O Lord, is what we're crying out. Because what Jesus has told us to do is impossible in ourselves. We can't deny ourselves. We can't take up a cross. We can't follow Him. Except in His power, in His strength, in His life. His life keeps us going on this path of self-denial. This eternal life that He has placed within us. And we can walk that path because He will keep us. He will hold on to us. He will cling to us as we trust in Him. As we depend upon Him. Just as we heard in Romans today. coming in, telling us why we can walk this path of denial, why we can walk this path of self-denial that leads us into the suffering of a cross. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how 
will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We are assured the final place that we will end up as we walk this path. That just as Jesus trod the path toward the cross and died and was raised, we too, as we trust him and trod this path, will die and be raised as well. Such that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of the Father himself that comes to us in Christ, even if it is true that we're being killed and led to the slaughter as sheep. Nonetheless, even in being led to the slaughter as sheep, we conquer in Christ. We conquer through Him who loved us. We endure and overcome all that stands in our way because we follow one who has removed all of that. We follow a man named Jesus. And that man Jesus calls us to death. He calls us to self-denial in order that we would follow Him and be behind Him as He guides us. When we resist self-denial, we quit following Jesus. When we quit following a path of taking up a cross, we quit following Jesus. But He calls us back to Himself. He turns back and calls us to Himself and says, Come to Me, all you who are burdened, and I will take that burden from you. He restores our souls as we turn back to Him, even if we are following a different path. He calls us back to His path of following and coming in behind Him in order that He can keep us outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls. He desires us to come to Him and we must continually confess we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves, to keep that ever before us as we walk this path to remind us that any good that we do, any accomplishments we have, it is only for the sake of the grace of God in us. And that is how we deny ourselves is to follow Jesus, is to take up a cross and to continually say, I have nothing in me to help myself with. I have no power, but thanks be to God that He is the strength that I need. He is the one who will fill me up and guide me and grant me the grace to endure all things. And so may we walk this path of trusting Jesus to give us that power and continually saying, I have no power in myself to help myself. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.